Who in here likes to fish? Anybody like to fish? We've got a few fisher, fishermen and fisherwomen in here. And so uh, less than I thought, though, man, it's a big group of people. There's like, I love to fish. It's one of the things I really enjoy doing. I don't get to do it very often, uh, but when I do get to do it, we really, really enjoy fishing. And, and fishing in itself just invokes so many childhood memories. Uh, we lived in a neighborhood that was right down, uh, we had our neighborhood that ended into some woods, and we carved trails, and at the end of those trails, it would actually uh, lead to a creek, and we spent many days growing up fishing in that creek and just having a good time, and then, uh, you know, fishing for my family was kind of like a rite of passage. My grandfather had a place down on the lake, and as a child, we'd go there many weekends and spend the weekends uh, with, my, with my grandparents, and my grandpa would get up every morning, early in the morning, like 5.30 in the morning, and he would get everything together, and he would go out fishing, and he would check his trot lines, and then he would do some fishing, and then he would come back home. And it all started with a home-cooked breakfast, some uh, straight black strong coffee, and then out to the boat you would go. And as a young boy, I remember always wanting to be invited to go. And it was always like, can I go fishing? No, it's for the, it's for the men. One of these days you'll get to go. And every year, as it would, uh, year by year would go by, I would look forward to the day that I got to be invited to go fishing. And one year it was that time, and they were like, hey, we're going fishing in the morning. Would you like to go? And I'm like, yes, I would like to go. And I remember getting up and being so excited and, and sitting down and eating this homemade breakfast and drinking my black coffee and feeling like a man. I was a man because I was drinking black coffee and I was going fishing with the adults. And I went out and, and enjoyed my time there. But some of my fondest moments were when I was able to go fishing with my dad. And me and my dad would go fishing quite often. One of our favorite places to go was actually down to the ocean, and we would like to go wade fishing or surf fishing, and that's where you would wade out to about uh, ways to chest deep of water, and you'd cast your reel out, and you would, uh, we'd fish that way, and, and so we would go down there and try to catch uh, trout a lot, and I used to love those moments, and I remember one time in particular that my dad had this great idea, not only were we going to go fishing at the beach, but we were going to make a weekend out of it, and we were going to go to the beach, and we were going to fish and then we were going to play throughout the day, and we were going to fish some more that night. And then we were going to uh, pitch a tent on the beach, and we were going to stay the night on the beach, and we were going to build our own fire. And then on that fire that we built with our own hands, we were going to cook the fish that we caught ourselves. And so, like, we were really going to do this thing up. And as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy, I was so excited for this adventure with my dad. And I remember just anticipation uh, uh, leading up to the point of going. And we loaded the truck, and we're headed down that way. And and I was just excited as can be, and my dad was excited, and we get down there, and, and we um, pull all of our fishing gear out, and we go fishing, and we actually did a great job, caught a lot of fish, and we were excited, and so then it got to be a little bit warmer, and the day began to, uh, to progress, and so we would go, and we swam, and we played, and we had a great time at the beach, and then evening came, and my dad's like, let's go fishing some more and see what else we can catch, and so in the evening, we went out there, and we fished some more and caught some more fish, and and we brought them all in, and then it was time to clean them and to make our fire. And so we made our fire, and, and our fire's going, and we got the fish, and we began to cook the fish and eat the fish. I mean, it was like the ideal time to be father and son. It was great. It was such a great memory. And so my recollection is, man, this was the time of our life. And, uh, and to this day, that's how I remember it. Now, my dad would tell you by this point, he was getting eaten up by mosquitoes, and it was all that he could stand. And so uh, he finally is like, that's enough. Let's go in the tent. We got we to gotta get up and fish again in the morning. Let's get away from these mosquitoes. Let's... And so we, we climb into the tent and we lay down in the tent. And I'm just 
buzz with excitement. And I'm sure as a 10-year-old kid, I'm probably talking uh, to no end, and my dad's trying to rest, and he's like, kid, would you just shut up so we can go fishing in the morning? But uh, that's going on. And as that's taking place, and my dad's trying his best to fight back his frustration from the mosquitoes and the talkative little 10-year-old and everything that was going on, uh, the tent began to sway back and forth, and the storm had come in off of the coast, and uh, our tent literally blew down with us in it. And so we're like fighting to get out. And I remember my dad, with everything that was in him, he climbs out of the tent, and he's like, that is it. And he like throws his pillow, and he grabs the tent, and he begins to just shuffle it all together, and he threw it in the truck, and he goes, that's it, we're done, we're going home. And I'm like, no, Dad, like you promised me all weekend, like we can't go home. I said, let's set the tent back up. He's like, we're not setting the tent back up. It's just going to blow down again. And so we uh, came to a compromise, and we decided we'd go get a hotel for the night and still go fishing the next morning. So this is late in the evening by this point, and we're driving around looking for a place, and there was nowhere to be found. And so the one place we finally found uh, was this motel on the side of the road uh, that charged by the hour. And uh, it was not the best place to be. And so uh, it had, like, hot pink walls. It smelt of, like, I don't know what. And it was just one of those places my dad was, like, scared to touch anything. And so he's, like, bringing our own sleeping bags and stuff in there. So we, son, don't touch anything. Like, don't touch the door. Don't touch the wall. Don't, you know. And so it was one of those kind of things. And so uh, as we walked away to this day, one of my fondest memories as a kid, one of my dad's worst memories as a, as a father. But it was a great time. And so fishing brings so many. It evokes so many memories in my life, and, and I love it so much. And so today, as we continue our study in the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus as he approaches some fishermen. And when he does, it changes their life forever. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, and we're going to be in chapter 1 and in verse 16. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, speaking of Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, and John, his brother who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Now here we see these men at work going about their business when all of a sudden this this man comes walking down the beach and he says, come and follow me, and they did. Not only did they follow him, but they left everything to follow him. It says they dropped their nets and they followed him immediately. And so the question comes to mind, why? Right? As I read these verses, I'm left pondering why in the world would these men who are about their, their daily business, who are in the middle of, of uh, doing what they did day after day, fishing for their livelihood, like why would these men out of nowhere drop everything to follow this guy who said, come and follow me? Like what would possess them to do that? And so for us to truly understand What's going on here? And for us to efficiently answer that question, we need to have a basic understanding of what was actually going on, a foundation for us to look at, to understand a little bit more of what was going on when Jesus said, come and follow me, and they left everything to follow him. And so laying that foundation, let's go to the the Jewish history 
to Jewish history and to the um, the way that schooling and learning was done in those days. And so, uh, at the time, uh, at this time in Jewish history, when a child turned six, they would begin the official learning or schooling process. And so every child would do this, whether it was a boy or a girl, they would join into uh, this schooling process, and they started out uh, in this stage called Beth Sephir, and this Beth Sephir was for ages 6 to 11 years old. And during this time, the boys would learn and memorize the Torah. They would learn math and history, and they would learn geography. And the girls would learn uh, home skills, at the same time, they would learn uh, Deuteronomy and Psalms and Proverbs and Leviticus. And they did this for five years. Now, what would happen would be at the end of that five years, at the conclusion of Beth Sephir, you would have a, uh, a reckoning or a, a division that would take place. And so they would go through all the pupils, all the students, and they would take the best of the group out. And they would continue on in their studies. But those who were not the best were sent home to learn the family trade and to continue their studies uh, at home. With, with their family business and learn the trade of their family so they can help uh, bring money into the family. And so these ones that were chosen, though, the best of that group would then progress on to the next stage of learning, which was Beth Midrash. And, and this Beth Midrash was for ages of 12 to 15 years old. And during this time, between 12 and 15, they would study the Torah beyond memorization. And so they would go beyond just memorizing the Torah. But what does the Torah actually say and how does it apply to everyday life? And so they would take it beyond just memorization and really begin to learn the true meaning of the Torah. They would learn a practical application of the Jewish law. While at the same time, they would learn their family trade. And then at the end of this time period, at the end of the second stage of learning, once again, there would be... Uh, a reckoning that all the students would come and they would separate the best of the best now. And they would get to continue on and then the rest would go home and they would continue to learn their family business and continue to, uh, to, to invest into their family business so that they could invest into their family. And they were sent home and the rest were able to stay and they would enter into this, uh, this time of learning called Beth Talmud. And this was from the ages of 15 to 30. And during this time, a, a pupil would be taught by a rabbi with authority. He calls you out to be his Talmud or his disciple, his follower. And the Talmud were hand-selected by the rabbi, and they would say, come and follow me. And when they did, this would be the highest honor a man could bring to himself and to his family. It's what every young man strived for from childhood, but only the best of the best were ever chosen. And so now we have these students, the best of the best, and a rabbi would come along, and out of the best of the best, he would find disciples or pupils that he thought would best fit uh, his teaching and his style, and he would call out to them, and he would say, come and follow me. And for a young man to have that call to come and follow a rabbi, it meant everything. It meant honor for him and for his family, and so they would lay down everything, and they would go, and they would follow this rabbi. By, by a rabbi saying, come follow me, he was saying, I believe in you. You have what it takes, and you can do what I do. And so once the call to follow had been made, the Talmud, the new disciple, they would leave everything, and they would fully devote themselves to the teaching and the training of the rabbi. In this early discipleship process, it would have included fully devoting themselves to the authority of the rabbi. So at this point in time, when you choose to follow a rabbi, when the rabbi has chosen you, and you say yes to the calling, it included a full devotion to the authority of the rabbi. 
That means over every aspect of your life, to the way that you interpret Scripture, to the way that you do your everyday uh, goings about throughout your day. Those things are now under the full authority and submission of, of the rabbi. It also involved wrestling with the Word of God. The rabbi would teach you how to take Scripture. And so studying the rabbi's view of Scripture and wrestling with the text to comprehend God's way uh, to conduct their life, it was a main priority of the disciple. What does Scripture say? What does the rabbi say about the Scripture, and how do I apply that to my daily life? And so they would wrestle with the Scripture, and, and they would try to figure out how it fit into daily life. And since most of them had memorized the Scriptures at this point, Earlier on in their education, the issue now was not what God's Word said, rather what did it mean and how is it to be lived out in their life. Early discipleship also involved addressing real-life questions. And so uh, how does the Scripture practically apply to real-life, everyday situations? And is it practical? And if so, what does that look like? And, and so as part of this how should we live interactive process, the rabbi would bring up real-life issues and and the disciples uh, would debate various uh, rabbinic interpretations of the text pertaining to them. And this might even involve weeks of dialogue and debate, going back and forth of what uh, is true in this situation and what uh, would Scripture really mean for us during this situation. And, and uh, for the rabbis, we're not in any hurry to resolve these issues, so it would go on and on. But however, when the rabbi ultimately did declare the authoritative interpretation of an issue, that was it. So when the rabbi finally at the end of the day said, all right, your dialogue has been great. Here's what I have to say. When they spoke into the situation, that was then taken as truth and it was followed out accordingly the rest of the life. There's also transparency. Unlike many of our current discipleship programs, there is no curriculum or agenda for this multi-year discipleship experience. Rather, it was a continual daily relational living experience where either the rabbi would ask questions or the disciple, uh, which he closely observed, uh, would bring up situations. But the rabbi would watch the disciple's life very, very closely. And the, and the disciple would live his life in such a way that the rabbi had full disclosure of everything that was going on in his life. And so throughout the day, the rabbi would notice things in the disciple's life, and he might be like, well, okay, why did you make that decision? What led you to go this direction? And so one of the most common questions a rabbi would ask a disciple is, why did you do that? And by always asking questions, the rabbis were concentrating on developing discernment in the minds of the disciple and not just giving how-to formulas of how to live. And that's important for us today because a lot of times we just look for the how-tos. Give me the three steps to a healthy marriage. Give me the four steps to prosperity. Give me the five steps to a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want these easy-to-follow steps when really Christ is calling us to learn discernment and to listen to his Holy Spirit and to follow his guidance. Uh, early discipleship also included emulation. And so disciples had a deep desire to emulate their rabbi. This often including imitating how the rabbi ate, uh, how he observed the Sabbath, what he liked and disliked, as well as his mannerisms, prejudices, and preferences. You know, the disciples would follow so close to the rabbi that they would often get covered in the dust from his footsteps as they walked down a path. They wanted to hear every word, to understand every instruction, to, to stay as close to the rabbi as they could as he led the way. They not only listened to what the rabbi said, but they watched what he did and the way that he did it. Their goal was to become as much like him as possible. So much so that there was a common saying in that time, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. 
May you follow your rabbi so intently and so closely that literally the dust of his feet would cover you. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. One theologian says this. He says, basically, first century discipleship could be summarized by desire and submission. This included a passionate willingness to give up any and all of their preconceived notions of how to live their life and then to embrace the behavior that their rabbi deemed best to honor God. It was a radical, willing, and totally conforming submission to the interpretive authority of their rabbi. So as you can see, a call to follow wasn't something to be taken lightly. Only a select few would ever hear the words, come and follow me. And when they would, they would drop everything to go. So looking back at our fishermen in Mark 1, we have a better understanding of what is going on. These young men were no longer learning in the learning process. They were no longer in school. They were out doing the family business. So what does that mean? It means they weren't good enough. It means that somewhere along the way, they didn't make the cut. They were not chosen. And so they were sent home to do the family business. But now all of a sudden, this rabbi comes walking down the beach out of nowhere, and he says, come and follow me. And in in doing so, he is saying, you were chosen. You have what it takes, and you can do what I do. Of course they dropped everything to follow him. Of course they dropped everything to follow him. They thought that they had lost all chance of having a, a discipleship experience with a rabbi. They thought that they were not good enough, that they, were, that they were less than. But yet this rabbi calls out and he goes, no, you are good enough. You are chosen. You do have what it takes. You can do what I can do. Come and follow me. And so, of course, they dropped everything and they followed Christ. Now, note, to get a little bit of a perspective on this, this would be like me getting drafted by the Houston Rockets. Don't laugh too hard. I mean, can you imagine me sitting at home watching the NBA draft, and as I'm watching it, I see the commissioner get up, and he's like, with their first selection of this year's draft, the Houston Rockets select Ernest Parker, and I'm like, what? And about that time, my phone rings, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, like that is basically what is happening to these young men's life. But to get a full appreciation for this analogy, you must understand that my basketball career ended my freshman year. I thought I was pretty good. I remember in middle school, uh, I hit puberty kind of early, and so uh, I grew tall uh, before everybody else did. And basketball tryouts came along, and I got selected for the team. And not only did I get selected for the team, but I made the A team. And not only did I make the A team, but I was starting A team. And so, man, I was legit. Like, I look at me like I am all that because I am starting A team basketball. And I remember just loving that. And to come to find out, though, they just wanted a tall guy who could win jump balls. And so they would put me in the game. We would do the jump ball. And then the first time out, they would pull me out and I would not play the rest of the game. And I didn't realize what was going on until a little bit later. I'm like, oh, I got you. Okay. Um, and so by the time freshman year came along, everybody else began to hit puberty. They called up with me in their heights. And, and I remember uh, one day specifically, Coach Castleberry, who was the high school basketball coach, approached me in the field house. And he's like, Parker, come here. I need to talk to you. And I said, yes, sir. He's like, as you probably know, basketball tryouts are coming up. I'm like, sure do. And I'm like thinking like he's ready to like, you know, are you trying out? And I'm like, your basketball trials, yes, sir, I'm ready to go. And he's like, well, just let me, let me just tell you something first. I'm like, okay. And he's like, you're pretty good at football. And I was like, 
okay? And he's like, so why don't you just stick to that and leave basketball to the other guys? And I remember going, okay. And that was the end of my basketball career. And so with that being said, could you imagine the astonishment if the Rockets were to say, now with our first choice, we choose Ernest Parker as our selection. Wrap your mind around that, and that's what's happening with these men as they're fishing. Jesus comes along and he says, come, follow me. And so they drop everything and they follow him. This call was not something to be taken lightly. It was a big deal. It was a life-changing call. Now check this, just like Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, he is calling you and he is calling me to come and to do the same. He is saying to us, come and follow me. And in doing so, he is saying that, that you have what it takes, that I believe in you, you are chosen. And not only that, but he is saying, you can do what I do. Imagine that, this Jesus who turned water into wine, who raised uh, people from the dead, the same Jesus that walked on water and, and just did so many unbelievable things. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, greater things than this can you do and will you do. John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. If the word of God says that we believe it and so Jesus is saying, come and follow me and greater things you will do. So the choice to follow Jesus changed these young men's lives forever, and it changes ours as well. The call to follow Jesus is a call to lay down your life. Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The NIV version says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. And so just like the early disciples with their rabbis, he's calling us to full submission to his authority in our life. He wants us to seek him and to learn his ways and to follow him so close that we're covered in the dust of his feet. And if we do this, his word promises us new life and abundant life that is only found in him. John 10.10 says, I come that they may have life and they may have it all in its fullness. Other versions say, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And so the choice to follow Jesus changed the lives of these fishermen forever, and it changes our lives as well. If you're here today and you want true success, you want true peace, you want true satisfaction, you want true fulfillment, true joy, true purpose, you want to make a difference in your life and in the life of those around you, you want to make a difference in this world, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus changes everything. He has the power to bring life from death, to bring beauty from ashes, to bring joy from mourning. He has the power to bring freedom and to set people free. He is known for taking people's lives and turning them around, giving them the very thing that they've been seeking the whole time, peace and purpose in life. And that peace and that purpose is found only in Him. You know, we all have this longing inside of us. Uh, this hole, if you will, and we will never be truly satisfied unless that hole is filled. And the thing is, is we try to go and fill this hole with all sorts of things in life. We try to fill it with success and with power and with money and possessions. And maybe we try to fill it with that certain car or that certain house and that certain neighborhood. Maybe we try to fill it with being a part of that certain social club or maybe we even... Uh, try to, out of desperation, fill it with sex and drugs and alcohol. 
Whatever it is, we try to jam things into this hole to bring satisfaction and fulfillment to the the things that are lacking in our life. But there's only one thing that can fill that hole. There's only one thing that can bring true satisfaction, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. John 8, 1 through 11, we find an adulterous woman. Jesus is in the streets, and these men come, and they bring this woman, and they say, Hey, Jesus, teacher, like, we found this woman And we caught her in the very act of adultery. What do you want us to do with her? And so she's laying there in humiliation in front of everybody. And and Jesus gets down and he writes in the dirt. And he says, uh, those who have no sin cast the first stone. And, And then he looks up from the dirt and he looks at the woman and all he sees is rocks on the ground and the accusers are gone. And he he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around and she says, I have none. Lord, what does he say? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, this woman was seeking pleasure in life. But all it did was leave her in despair. But then she encounters Jesus, and he gives her freedom. In Luke 19, 1 through 10, we find a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a selfish man who had a pursuit of money and possessions that consumed him. And so he went as far as to rob from his own people. He was a tax collector and he would overtax them and he would take all the leftovers uh, that he had and would take them to himself. And he became rich off of his fellow people. And so as you can imagine, he was not liked very much. But one day this man named Jesus was coming through town and Zacchaeus heard about this man and so he finds a sycamore tree and he climbs up in that sycamore tree so he can see this man named Jesus coming through town. Now let's be honest, how many of you are singing the song in your head right now? (laughs) So Zacchaeus is up in that tree. No one in town likes him, but he wants to see this man named Jesus that, that he's heard can change everything. And so he's trying to get a glimpse of this guy. And sure enough, Jesus comes down the road, and not only does Zacchaeus get to see Jesus, but Jesus stops right underneath that sycamore tree, and he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is like, me? He's like, yes, Zacchaeus, like, come down out of the tree, because I want to go, and I want to have dinner with you. I want to sit down, and I want to fellowship with you. I want to have relationship with you. And so on his own, Zacchaeus' pursuit of money and possessions left him lonely. But then Christ steps into the scene and gives him relationship. John 4, 1 through 42, there's a woman at a well. And she's there in the middle of the day when no one else is around. Why? Because she had became a social outcast. Why was she a social outcast? Because she had been married numerous times already, and the man that she now lived with was not even her husband. And so she had a bad reputation that went before her. And because of that reputation, she was shunned and looked down upon and had to go to the well when no one else was around because no one would allow them to be near her, uh, would allow themselves to be near her. And so Jesus comes along and he sits down next to her at the well and he begins this conversation with her. And through this conversation, he begins to speak truth over her life and into her life. And, and she walks away knowing what true worship is and being accepted by somebody. And so this woman looking for love, it left her rejected and left her as an outcast. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, she received acceptance. See, Jesus stepped into each of these stories and he gave them a new abundant life that is only found in him. Only Jesus could have done the things that we read about in these stories. 
And only Jesus can step into your life and speak freedom and relationship and acceptance and fill in the blank of whatever it is that you desire in your life, the things that would bring true fulfillment that you're seeking after. Only Jesus can speak those things into your life. So when they follow their own ways, it led them to destruction. But when they follow Jesus, it led to a new life of peace and freedom. And some of us here today are following after our own ways and we just keep finding ourselves tripping up and we find ourselves in places of despair and destruction, but if we just turn ourselves to Christ and follow Him, He will lead us to a place of peace and freedom. So let's look at some of the things that come with following Jesus. In following Jesus, we have eternal life, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. We have forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. In Christ we have purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. In Christ we find acceptance. John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In Christ we find peace. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ we have love. 1 John 3, 1, so great a love that was bestowed upon us that we are called his children. In Christ, we find joy. Acts 2, 28, you will fill me with joy. Jeremiah 8, 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in Christ, we find identity. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, Jesus changes everything. Maybe you're here and you're like, I hear what you're saying and it sounds good, but I just don't know. I just don't know about all this discipleship thing. I just don't know about all of this dropping everything to follow Jesus. I don't know if it's worth it. It sounds great, but I just don't know if practically it's all worth it. I don't know if I'm ready to give him everything. I don't know if I'm willing to let go of fill in the blank of whatever it is that you need to let go of in your life. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm to that point yet. Is it, is it really worth it to follow Christ? And so to help us answer that question, let's look to two great men from Scripture. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And then put your finger there and flip over to Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, and we'll go through verse 9. It says this. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so Paul is saying, look, man, like I, I've had things in this life. 
If you read about the life of Paul, he says, I know what it means to live in abundance, and I know what it means to live without. And so he knows what it means to have purpose and meaning and to have uh, money and possessions. He knows what it means to have honor and esteem. He was one of the highest of the Pharisees at one point in his life. And so he knows what it means to have those things. And yet at the end of the day, he says, I consider all of that loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes as far as saying, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, a lot of times we hang on to these things in life and we think that they add so much to us and we think they're so valuable and we can't even consider or fathom the idea of letting them go because what would my life be like if I let this go? What would my life be like without this in my life? And Paul is saying, man, once you choose to follow Christ, those things will be as, as, worth, as garbage. Like it's, it's going to be nothing to you because God is so good and following him brings so much meaning to life. And so those things that you think are so valuable will be nothing but garbage to you. He says, that is what it means to follow Christ. And then when you turn over to Ecclesiastes, we find this man named Solomon. King Solomon, uh, as you probably uh, know, was given an opportunity from God to ask for anything he would ever want in life. He's like, ask me what you want and I will give it to you. And so he had the opportunity to ask for power. He had the opportunity to ask for his enemies to be destroyed. He had the opportunity to ask for all the riches in the world. He had the opportunity to ask for anything he wanted. And what did he ask for? He says, God, I want wisdom so that I can lead your people well. And so God honored his request, and he says, Solomon, because you are so honorable in the request for wisdom to, to lead my people well, I will give you that wisdom, but I will, always give you, I will also give you the power and the authority and the, and the riches, and you'll become the greatest that ever was. And so we see Solomon now, greatest man that ever lived, had more riches than anybody had ever even imagined, and anything that he ever wanted, he could just give to himself. And, and so we find him uh, at the end of his life, kind of going back over, and this is what he has to say to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart with uh, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly uh, till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of our life. I made great works, and I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Verse 9. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so we have this mighty man with endless resources that went out and built the biggest houses, had the best parties, had anything money could buy, had all the fame and the fortune and 
just anything you could ever think of. He says, I did not deny myself anything. If my mind conceived it, I made sure it happened. But then at the end, he says, at the end of the day, I looked at everything that I had done, all that I had attained, all that I had uh, achieved. And he says, it's all vanity and a striving after the wind. So at the end of the day, Solomon says, anything that I did out of my own strength and my own might, anything that I did out of my own self is useless. And chasing after those things, I might as well have been chasing after the wind. And so is it worth it? I think Paul would say, yes, it's worth it. Anything else is garbage compared to Christ. We say, is it worth it? And I think Solomon would say, yes, it's worth it. Chasing after anything else would be like chasing after the wind. Yes, it's worth it. And so Jesus today, just like he did 2,000 years ago, stands and he says, come and follow me. I believe in you. I choose you. You have what it takes. And if you choose to follow me, you can do what I do and even greater things. So come and follow me. And so the question we must answer today is, will we say yes to Christ? And so if you're here today and you've never said yes to the call of Jesus, you've never said yes to the call to follow Jesus, may I invite you to do so today. If you've never come to a point in your life where you've come to full realization of your need for Christ in your life, for your need for a Savior, to where you say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, and in following you, I give my whole self to you, and I align my life with you, and I submit myself to your authority over my life. If you've not ever come to that point, that decision will change your life forever. And I invite you to make that decision today. Jesus is saying, come and follow me, and so will you follow him today? Or maybe you're here today and you have answered the call. Jesus said, come and follow me, and you said, yes, Lord, I will follow. But maybe somewhere along the path of life's journey, maybe somewhere along the way the things of life, the busyness of life, the cares of this world has kind of gotten in the way and has created distance between you and your rabbi, and now you're not near as dusty as you used to be. You know, the cool thing about following God is you can take as many steps away as you want, but it only takes one step to come back. So maybe you're here today and you just need to be like, Jesus, I follow you, but I come back to your heels because I want to be covered in your dust. I haven't been following you as close as I needed to, and it's time to get dusty again. So Jesus, I come back to you. In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer and ministry, and we're going to have people, amazing people that are going to come forward, and they're going to make themselves available to you. And So if you're here today and you've never answered the call to follow Christ, come. And say, what is, what, what is this thing about following Jesus? What does that look like? What does it take? How do I say yes to Jesus? And they'd be more than happy to speak over you and help you know what it means to follow Christ and to be one of his disciples. Maybe you're here today and you realize as you look down that you're not quite as dusty as you used to be. And today's the day that you say, Jesus, I come back to you. Cover me in your dust. Whatever it is, maybe you're here today and you've got a sickness or something's going on in your life and you just need someone to pray with you know that we're available. Maybe you just want to come celebrate something God's done. This is a time for all of us just to spend time with God and just to connect with Him. And so, Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for all that that you have done for our lives. We thank you that in everything, that you give us examples and 
out of your word of how we should live life. And so, Lord, when you looked 2,000 years ago and you looked on those fishermen and you said, come and follow me, Lord, it changed their lives forever. And today you look at us and you say, come and follow me. And if we answer that call, it changes our life forever. forever. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you would just help us to say yes today. Whatever that looks like, that you'd help us to say yes today. And so, Lord, we just give you this time of prayer and ministry and we ask that you would move like only you can move. In Jesus' name.